0: More time. Good morning. Good to see everyone. We're going to do something a little different just just to begin the service. I'd like you to stand to your feet and uh, grab your, your Bibles. If you've got your Bibles today, uh, you should always bring your Bible to church and you should write all over it. Can I hear an amen? If you bring your Bible, I would encourage you to get a, a journal and journal in, in your Bible and in a journal on what you uh, learn in church, what God speaks to you, underline, highlight. So, uh, if you don't have a journal or a Bible, pick one of those up. People ask me what I study from. I study from the NASB because it's closer to the Greek, but that doesn't mean that the NIV is any less inspired. So when you hear the old joke, the old adage, the nearly inspired version, um, I don't, I don't attest to that. I like all the Bibles. Amen. Even the picture Bible. My first Bible was a picture Bible, and uh, I was 21 years old, and one of my pastors. His name was Wendell Smith, who's gone on to be with the Lord now. Wendell said, Look, the first thing you need to do is go buy a picture Bible. So I went to the bookstore and I asked the lady at the bookstore if she could show me where the picture Bibles were. And she said, Yes, absolutely. She walked me down the aisle and, and she says, Oh, are you buying it for your, you know, your little brother, or your little sister? And I was like, Yeah. <laughs> of course. You know, then I told her I said, "No, actually, it's it's for me." And she kind of thought I was joking, but I was dead serious. I went through that picture Bible, man, and I uh, got all the stories down in the Old Testament, and and you know, kind of worked through that because it helped me with my framework. But we're a Bible, we're a Bible church, we're a Bible people. So you got to bring your bring your Bibles, bring your notebooks. And now I, I just want to pray this morning um, for the service and ask God to speak to us as we just continue to move into a new season and into a new. Uh, a new place, a new series. Father, thank you for today, and I pray that that as we uh, as we go into the Word, that you would open our hearts and open our minds today. That Father, that you would literally uh, unlock uh, whatever is in us that's locked that you would come and the, the doors that are shut, those little areas of our lives, rooms that have been closed off forever, I pray that you would open them up today by the Spirit and that you would allow us to not only receive the Word, but receive the Word for what it is, the living, That's eternal right. Word of God. And because the Word is living and it's working inside of us, uh, the Bible even says that it's like a its like a scalpel. It's like a two-edged sword that divides the bone and the marrow and the spirit and the soul. It, what that means is that, that you Your word, Father, gets deep into us. The places where we won't even go ourselves, you go. And you begin to to work and adjust and cut away the things that are unprofitable to us in the kingdom of God and in our lives. And so today, I pray as we go to the word that you would bypass me if that's what it takes. You'll do whatever it takes for spirit to speak to spirit this morning and for all of us to leave here different than when we came in. That we would have something to hang on to, something to believe in, something that we can apply to our life. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said Amen. All right, give Jesus a big round of applause one more time. And you may be seated, turning your Bibles this morning, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It's a very familiar portion of Scripture. Uh, of course, this is this is a, a portion of Scripture that's used a lot in spiritual warfare. And uh, you know, we talk a lot about strongholds and and what they mean and where they come from. And this morning, what, I, what I'd like to do is I would like to just maybe, maybe adjust our thinking a bit on what a stronghold is and how we deal with it. Now, you will ha- hear me preach on this portion of Scripture again, but from a different angle. This morning's angle is very specific. I'm looking for something very specific this morning uh, that has to do with our series. Well, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. All right, By the humility and greatness or gentleness of Christ. By the humility and gentleness of Christ. Very important. Because our God is a humble and a gentle God. Our God is not a, a beat you up, push you around, knock you around God. We serve a humble and a gentle God. Who handles his people with gentleness. And this is important as you'll see here in a little while. I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid, and you'll notice the timid is in uh, quotation marks in almost every version uh, of Scripture, Uh, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I'm away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be uh, as bold as I expect to be towards some other people who think that we live by the standards of this world. And so already you have the word timid and you have the word bold that are in parentheses, parentheses, quotation marks, which tells you that he's quoting what someone else has said about him. And then he references some other people. And so we know right away that when we look at the book of 2 Corinthians that Paul is, is dealing with a specific group of people who have um, have some teaching that is opposite to his, number one, and number two. He's also dealing with the Corinthian church because they're, they're wrestling with what they believe on a couple of issues, and they're also wrestling with uh, the issue of giving. And so when we do come back to the principles of generosity during our offering times, about half of those will come from 2 Corinthians because uh, Paul deals with the heart of the giver. But... They're in uh, quotation marks. He says, look, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect towards some other people who think that we live by the standards of this world. It's a very important statement because to say that we live by the standards of this world or the standards that are not of this world or we live by the flesh or we live by the Spirit what we're saying is that the world has one complete and total way of living, of viewing, of thinking, of acting, of, of trying to achieve, trying to live life, make things work, not think works, family, uh, marriage, whatever it is. But when you live by the spirit, you live by a completely set, different set of principles. And so spirit living and flesh or world living is a completely different kind of living, which is why the scripture says that we are like pilgrims. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. For the weapons we fight are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your, your obedience is complete, okay? So you remember last week, if you were here, we talked about the 10 lepers from Luke chapter 17. And in that, uh, in that message, we talked about a moment that one of the lepers had in his relationship with Christ after he met him, and he had a moment of clarity. So I, I want to just call this morning's message simply a moment of clarity. Now, how many of you have had a moment of clarity, an aha moment, as they call it? You know, you have them every once in a while. Um, you you have them uh, you have them when you have to pay your first mortgage payment. Amen. You, you know, when you're a kid, your bills are in $10 bills. When you're in the university, they come in the hundreds. And then when you get married and you get a little older, you buy a house, they come by the thousands. It's an aha moment, you know. Uh, when you have your first child, uh, I remember the night... That we went home after the hospital and Kaylee was born and we had this little tiny. Well, none of my babies were tiny. Okay, let me back up already. Um, they were they were eight, ten, nine, ten, and like ten five. So my last child was over ten pounds and my wife was like, never again. They're going up. It's over. We're done. And uh, it's okay. But she was in her in her little nursery. We put the nursery together and you know we done all the things that new parents are doing. We're getting ready. The clock is set for like two hours later or whatever. And we we let laid down on the bed and I had a moment, an aha moment. I was like, there is someone else in this house and they're never going to leave. (laughs) Now, if you've been a parent, you know that because you're like so excited you get home and you're like, I will never be alone again. (laughs) Babe, we, we will never have another moment alone again where we can do whatever we want any night of the want go no, we want go anywhere spend our money on things that aren't aren't our children it's over and I had this aha moment there's a moment of clarity in many areas of life that we have and I think that in serving Christ and in serving Jesus, there are aha moments of clarity where things become clear. And these 10 lepers had come to, had seen Christ on the road. And they, of course, in their unified, uh, unhealed, unwhole state, they were saying, Father uh, he, or, or Master, please heal us. Uh, by your authority, please heal us. You remember that they were using a word that meant authority or master. It wasn't the word for divinity. And so the lepers, the lepers were, were asking God for, for Jesus, for him to use his authority, but they weren't recognizing his divinity. So all 10 of them were saying in your authority, please make us healed. But He was looking for them to recognize his divinity. And so he says, go see the priests. And so off go the 10 lepers. And the 10 lepers are headed back to the temple. And on their journey, just somewhere in mid-stride, they get healed. They absolutely get healed. And they're on their way to the temple to see the priests that were appointed to declare people clean, which was an entire process. But as they were going, one of them, the Bible says, one of them had a moment of clarity one of them stopped in his tracks and something just hit him something came over him something hit his mind his thought his heart his spirit and while the other nine leave him behind and run for the temple he's thinking to himself now wait wait a minute hold on now i was on my way to the temple to be declared healed and he looks down and he's already healed and he goes wait a minute hold on now i'm already healed he has a moment of clarity. Why am I sending? Why or why am I running to see the priest? to be healed when I'm already healed. Why am I going to see the priest when I just met the high priest on the road? Why am I headed to the temple when the presence is not even in the temple and the presence of God is on the road? Jesus has come down, made the earth his habitation, and instead of striving to get into the presence of God, I've just been in the presence of God. Why am I running back to the law to be declared uh, whole and clean when Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and he just declared me whole and clean? And so one of them on the road back to the the temple, he had a moment of clarity and he turned. He made a shift. He turned around and he started his journey back towards the Savior. And this is how God works in our lives in many areas, one area at a time, at, at times. But this is how He does it. No matter how hard we run towards the things that we think can make us whole. We will find emptiness there. We will find the law and the old school of thought there. We will find things that won't bring fulfillment. And the harder we run, the more we run towards those things, the more we realize we're wasting our time. We're not being fulfilled. And we tend to live in this funny in between stage and season of, I know the Savior, but I feel like I've got to do this to be whole. When really we have to have aha moments, moments of clarity where we stop and we turn and we go back towards the Savior with everything. And so what happens is is that we have these moments of clarity. Now, how do the moments of clarity come? Is it just the Holy Spirit? You know, the Holy Spirit will give you moments of clarity. There's, well, of course the Holy Spirit will give you moments of clarity. But what was it that actually happened to the leper? It wasn't like the leper got healed and he went, well, I'm healed. I just need to go say thank you because I feel like an ungrateful person. That that was part of it. He went back to say thank you. But what was it in him that changed? What was it, what clarity did he receive? He received a change of thinking, a change of thought. There's something that happened in his mind where the Holy Spirit the grace of God, the work of redemption had such an impact on his thinking that he was literally able to stop in mid-track, reject everything that he had ever known, and there was a stronghold that was broken in his mind. The stronghold fell out of his thinking, and he had the ability to turn back towards Christ and follow him into wholeness. So what happened in the mind in so many other stories, it's about the healing and the prayer of faith. But this time, Jesus didn't even give him a prayer of faith. Didn't lay hands on him. Didn't say, in my name, you are healed. Didn't go over there and say, hey, go see the priest. And on his way to the priest, whew, he was healed. And then the story is about the moment of clarity for the leper. It's about the response of the leper. And the closer that we get to the cross, the deeper the response, the deeper the clarity, and the deeper the work. And so we have this moment of clarity. So I want to talk about a stronghold for a few minutes. A stronghold in Scripture is a high place. A couple of different definitions. First of all, I don't know if you have these, John, but the natural definition of a strong, stronghold is a high place, a place that is fortified and high. The Bible talks about uh, strongholds in the Old Testament. They were cities that were lifted or, or built high above, and they weren't, they weren't built to be the aggressor. They were built to be the defender. And the reason why you built a stronghold in a high place above everything else was because when the attack came, what you were hoping for is that you could outlast your enemy. You weren't going to attack them. You weren't going to, to chase them down. Um, it's found 29 times in the Old Testament. And what you would do is you would you would hunker down in your stronghold, and you would hope that you could Outlast your enemy, and finally they would give up. And so, when scripture talks about strongholds of the mind and and the needed moments of clarity, what scripture is saying is that in our mind we have strongholds about the way that we think about Jesus, the way that we think about God and the church and grace. And those strongholds, they sit there and they hunker down, and we can go over great distance of our lives and never let the work of God in, and we think we can outlast God's grace. We think that we can hunker down and hold on to the things that we believe, the things that we have defended. Some people defend their wrong strongholds their whole life, never letting down their guard, thinking that they can outlast the grace of God and the redemption of God, but you can't. And what Paul says is this. He says is that we have strongholds in our mind. And then oftentimes we think of a stronghold, and at times they are when we think of spiritual warfare. Now, spiritual warfare is real. Spiritual warfare is important. Spiritual warfare, from my perspective, is is making not just just binding and loosing and and finding the stronghold or this spirit or that spirit, but, but strongholds for me and spiritual warfare is lifting Christ up to his rightful place. And you need to trust me about spiritual warfare, warfare just for a minute. That if Jesus Christ is seated in the right place in our lives, our level of spiritual warfare goes down because the gospel carries the heavy burden of the warfare. This is very important. Now don't misunderstand me at all. Don't think that I don't believe in spiritual warfare. I have I have prayed all night. <laughs> I have old school Paul and Silas moments that changed me forever, all night long, prayer meetings. I don't even know why we did some of the things we did, Pastor Lisa. You know, we would go into rooms and we would go stand up against the wall and face the wall with our hands up for hours and just pray that God would change the city. And one day I had an aha moment. Why am I staring at the wall right now? And I turned around and it was like a whole new deal for me. And I was started it around the room. I have I have oiled things I have I have put, I have pounded prayer stakes with scriptures on every public high school, um, on the Capitol building of Denver. Last year, we took our kids down to the Capitol building, and we're like looking around to see where the security is. We had these big stakes with scriptures written all over, and we had a little bottle of oil. We poured oil on the stake, and we pounded them into the ground at the Capitol building. Outside, there's 20 teenagers just praying for Denver, Colorado. I mean, we're trying to find the corners of the city and the gates of the city, and we're praying because I believe in all that. Because hey, hey. More prayer is better than less prayer. Someone say amen. See, I had no issues with any of that. But the problem scripturally is that when Paul deals with a stronghold, he heals, he preaches, he does miracles, people are are amazed by what he does, but then he comes back and he says, but the real strongholds are not demons, it's the way you think. And he deals with it in 2 Corinthians. And as you read 2 Corinthians, you get to chapter 10, Paul's entire demeanor changes, when he gets to this place in this book with these people. Because he feels like he's dealt with so many of the practical things on their offerings, their giving, their people, their leadership, their unity, and then he just says, now wait a minute, stop. And he says, now I'm going to deal with something. I want to deal with how to handle the way you think. And I want you to apply every spiritual principle that you have everything that we have ever given you, Paul says, all that, all that we have, I want you to apply it to your thoughts and your mind. Because if you think wrong here, it will, it, will, it will come out of you here in a negative confession. And then when you have a negative confession, then all of a sudden your negative confession now begins to in, influence what you hear. And if you don't think that what you say has an impact on actually who you are, then just walk around all day say negative things. Like just do it for 24 hours and see how you feel at the end of the day. Just get up and say, I don't like life. I don't like this. I don't like that. That person's dumb. This place is grumpy. I don't like snow. I hate snow. I hate my job. I hate my boss. This is ridiculous. Why doesn't my family serve me all day long? I think that's the way it should be. Just just all day long. Being negative. Then come home and sit down with your with your family and look at them and see if it's not hard to even get a good thought and a good word out towards your family. I'm telling you the negative confession. So what we do is we we, we think it up here. We say it here and then we hear it here and then we think it here and then we say it here and then we hear it here and we end up in this vicious cycle of negativity and all God wants to do is get in here, right up here and change the way that we think and change the way that we speak. And So Paul says, now I want to deal with this because he calls our thoughts, our ideas and our pretensions, our thoughts here, he calls them strongholds. He uses one of the most powerful Old Testament words in Scripture. And he uses the language of war. Right in the middle of trying to deal with the people who are out of unity and have some wrong teaching in the church, he draws a line with our thoughts. Matter of fact, I want everyone right now, take, take your right hand and I'm going to pray. And I want you to take your, your hand and just put it on your forehead. We only have a couple of minutes left. This is just my introduction, but just put your hand right here. And Father, I thank you. I'm gonna, no, wait, wait, let me rephrase. Uh, this is not my introduction because I'm going to continue preaching. This is my introduction uh, because I have two more messages on this subject. <laughs> that I won't deliver today. Father, I thank you right now in the name of Jesus for our thoughts. I thank you, Lord, that that our mind belongs to you. I thank you, Jesus, that everything that we think, it is our desire that it glorifies you. Lord, we're believing, Jesus, that you have such wonderful things for us that, that you simply want us to cultivate right thinking, to tear down wrong thinking, Father, so that we can uh, apprehend to its fullest extent the will of God. We love you, Jesus. Keep your hands on your head and say, say this with me. Say, Jesus, my mind, my thoughts, I submit them to the Spirit. And Jesus, I know that you died on the cross for my mind. And so I receive today the work of grace, the work of Jesus in my thoughts that tears down strongholds and gives me clarity in Jesus' name.